Welcome to Kingdom Testimony. Um, I apologize for not having anything out. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it is Thursday. What day is it today? The 18th, November 18th, 2021. Um, I'm working on reading my testimony slash memoir. And um, the last three days I've been helping my daughter remodel so I I haven't I haven't had really any time um, and now we're getting into really busy times anyway this time of year of course but I'm going to plug away um, I I'm not even gonna say what days I'm gonna try and load and upload you know uh, recording I'm just going to leave it in the Lord's hands. If he impresses on me to go on, then I'm going to go on. Um, like I said when I started this particular podcast recording of my memoir, it's, it's becoming apparent that there's, that there's things that are happening in my life, which, that's nothing new, nothing new at all. Um, that have to do with the past. I don't know. I don't even know how to how to explain it, so I'm not going to. Um, so I have to be careful. Like when I wrote this a few months ago, was I bitter? You know, was I upset at certain people? You know, that when when you write memoir. Um, you're supposed to be really careful about dealing with any past anger issues um, because it's just going to make it sound spiteful and mean and you know like you're just like well I'm just writing this to get back at somebody you know who did me wrong and that sort of thing so I <clears throat> have to be very careful okay um, we left off where, um, it was 1992 and I, we were just married. We were married in 1997. By this time we had three kids. Okay. So let me just pick it up. I spent a lot of time in the town where I grew up in, where my parents and sisters lived. Dad was helping out at the print shop where he worked, even though he was now close to 70 years old. Mom was trying to work on her ceramics business, but she had had that stroke. She had lost her peripheral vision in the stroke and was having a hard time. She pretty much recovered from the stroke, but didn't move around as quickly as she once did. She had her sense of humor back, but it seemed a bit darker. Um, she couldn't drive, and so she she just, she, she changed. She really changed. Um, my sister, Vanny, had married Gary's best friend, and they, she, of course, they moved out and got their own place. And so at this point, everyone had moved out, and it was just my mom and dad at home. Mom was resentful that she was alone so much, so dad tried to work only here and there. Mom still couldn't read books or drive due to the after effects of the stroke, so she spent a lot of her time watching TV. 
She parked her butt on one end of the couch and stared at the little TV they had set up in the kitchen at the end of the table. Mom didn't believe in televisions being in the living room. That was for entertaining. The living room was for entertaining. But being at the end of the kitchen table was okay. And of course she had one in her bedroom. At least they were both small TV sets. But it seemed they were on 24-7. And since Mom couldn't read the Stephen King books or any of those scary books, she watched the shows that replaced that thrill. She also got into programs that were a bit edgy, let's say. She wouldn't go so far as to get cable and watch any really bad stuff, but whatever the local programming would offer in terms of as close to R-rated as you could get, that's what she watched. Um, I'm not talking edgy as far as um, like X-rated, you know, sex stuff like that. It wasn't that. Um, and then they finally did get cable because she watched the Sci-Fi Channel and the Oldies Channel, Twilight Zone, and all those types of shows. That's what she was still going for. I'd go visit mom and dad, and that's what life had become. Dad wor worked in the morning while mom slept till noon. Dad was sipping coffee at the table, trying to watch news and weather until mom put on those bad shows. Then dad sipping beer on the dilapidating port swing in the backyard until bedtime. Mom was TV, 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 and cigarettes. Lots of cigarettes. I didn't bring the kids to Mom and Dad's very often. She had some toys for them to play with, but the atmosphere there was not good. And they had two dogs that Mom was too glued to the couch and the set to let them outside when they needed it. It was gross. Dad would get so mad when he'd see one pee on the side of the fridge, he'd literally pick it up with his foot and scoop it out the back door. He didn't kick it. He would just scoop it outside. Walking through the house was like walking through a landmine field. Dad was the only one picking up the mines. It seemed Mom didn't care. Dad hated living like that. The condition of the house deteriorated more and more. He spent most of his time on the porch swing in the backyard, or when it was winter, he would uh, start up the wood stove in the garage shop. And that's where he spent most of his time. They built that house in the 1950s. One teen, my oldest sister, was a baby, and now it was going to hell. Mom tried to be cordial and fun, though. She struggled with all of us having moved out and not coming over all that much, but she didn't want to clean up the house for a once-a-week visit. She was depressed and having a tantrum. Dad thought getting her an electronic keyboard, because she used to play the, the organ, like my sister had just gotten, would cheer her up. She used to play the organ, and we had one in the house when I was a kid. Me and my sister took lessons at the convent from Sister Olivia Shiny Hands, what we called her. So Dad got Mom one, and there it sat on the kitchen table unused. They didn't eat at the table. That's why there was a TV set, and now the organ was there. My dad ate at the table, but the rest of the table was for things Mom piled on it. Um, they, they weren't hoarders, though. I mean, it wasn't extremely messy. It was just... So she didn't use the keyboard. Um, she was going to use it to try and get her eye-hand coordination back, but she just she never did. Dad was the only one who ate at the table. Mom never moved off the end of the couch except to go to the bathroom and go to bed. 
I'm surprised there wasn't a TV in the bathroom. It was hard for her to maneuver steps, so she quit going downstairs to the ceramics area. I came over one evening when Gary had the kids. He preferred to take care of the boys rather than have them get their feet in dog poop. Um, well, we had all three kids then. Mom was on the couch and Dad was sitting next to her and Dad said, why don't you play something on the keyboard? There was a religious book of songs sitting there next to it at the table with a TV to right to my right on the table and Mom and Dad sitting behind me on the couch, Mom on the end closest to me, and the TV. I picked out a song and started trying to play it. It had been a long time since I played. I asked Mom to turn down whatever the scary movie was on the TV. So she did, not begrudgingly. I played something like Near My God to These. It was, an, it was old hymns. And the volume on the TV started getting louder and louder. With Mom and Dad sitting behind me, I said, Mom, would you please turn it down? It's hard to play with that so loud. She said, I did. And she picked up the remote and turned it back down. I started playing again, and the volume on the TV got louder and louder again, this time much, much louder, as if to drown out the song. Mom, I pretended a chuckle out of exasperation. Are you turning it up? No, Lisa, I'm not. Freaking creepy. So I said, okay, well, hey, that's a really cool keyboard. Apparently your show doesn't want me to play a Jesus song. <laughs> I'm going to take off. See you guys later. Some things never change. Um, I started working at the bank through all of this time. Uh, my one sister, Andy, moved out from the low-income housing into a bigger apartment after her third child was born. My brother Blaine's marriage was rocky, so he was staying with Andy until he got tried to get things sorted out. Andy and Blaine were always pretty close. Um, there was a brother in between them, and they were close to the same age. Rather, you know, he was a little older. Blaine talking about going into business, painting signs. He was an artist, and other than selling his paintings and other pieces, he was making a living, living by doing auction barn signs. So they'll have auctions, if you don't know what an auction barn is, selling cattle, that sort of things, and um, advertisers would hang up their signs all the way around, kind of like a ice skating, you know, professional ice skating or... Um, at the races. This was in the days before digital signs. He was doing murals for t murals for towns too, but that work was scarce. He was very good though. He was he was known for his for his um, sign art. Blaine told Andy that in Montana and Nebraska there was a lot of work doing the cattle auction signs and wondered, since she was now single, if she wanted to help him out. They would have to move to Montana where the guy who lined up the work lived and where Blaine's ex-wife was. I don't think they were quite divorced yet. And they could travel from there doing auctions. Blaine and Andy, both born-again Christians, prayed about it and felt God wanted them to do this, stepping out in a leap of faith. They felt they could make a living and evangelize at the same time. Blaine's wife, Chris, had their four kids in Montana, and this way Blaine could see them more regularly and try to reconcile with Chris. They made it a plan to move to Glendive, Montana that fall. It was 1991. I had my daughter, Chelsea, the summer of 1991. I was jealous. Me, Andy, Vanny, and Blaine would often Bible study at Andy's kitchen table together. 
Vanny didn't come as often as she as she worked nights and had little ones as well, but I spent a lot of time with Andy still, and Gary and Blaine hit it off well. Gary was with Dylan and Ryan, my boys, our boys, when I was at Andy's kitchen table talking with her and Blaine about their move to Montana when I went into labor with Chelsea. With a new baby and on maternity leave for two months, I was able to help Andy and Blaine move to Montana. I couldn't lift much, but I could drive a car with a trailer of stuff on it across North Dakota with a baby next to me. In those days, you could have a baby in a bucket seat in the front, facing backwards, and that's what I did. When she cried, I mixed a bottle of formula and held it in her mouth while I drove. It was only about a 10-hour trip, so she slept most of the way. Check the time. Okay. I was also jealous when we got to Glendive and I saw the cute little rural house they had rented. I wanted to work for God and step out on a limb in faith like she was, like they were doing. I wanted to see God work in my life the way he was working in theirs. I didn't want to stay in Minnesota my whole mundane life, freezing for most of the year. But mostly I wanted God to take me places and make me do hard things so I could see and feel him next to me. I became consumed with prayer over this matter. I helped them as much as I could, and then on the weekend, Gary had time off, so he brought the boys out to meet us, and then we went back that Sunday night. Andy and Blaine worked the auction barns in Montana, and then his agent sent him over to Nebraska to work the barns there. Chris did not want to reconcile. Blaine was devastated and hurt. How could God do this to me, he thought. Blaine started to blame God for his family breakup, and he turned resentful. He quit working the barns, and pretty soon he and Andy were homeless and broke. They were staying at the hotel bar in a small town in Nebraska with no money. All their belongings were in a storage garage in Glendive, Montana, and they couldn't pay the rent, so they lost it all. Blaine worked at the bar for their room and board and for beer. Eventually, the owners of the bar set them up in their hunting house which was empty due to hunting season being over, and they were allowed to stay there just for the upkeep. I went there regularly that winter. It was only about a six and a half hour drive with the kids to see how they were doing. Gary was working seven nights a week at the beet plant, so he was working all night long and weekend nights. So weekends I went to um, the little town in Nebraska they were living in for moral support for Andy. Blaine was drinking more and more and had turned his back on God since he figured God had turned his back on him. Andy met a guy, Jerry, and he invited her to move in with him in the little town of Verdell, Nebraska, to get away from spiteful Blaine. She accepted. With a big piece of land, we had just under five acres on wooded property by a river. This is us now, me and Gary and the kids. The family get-togethers were always at our place. Steve didn't come to Minnesota very often. He had just gotten married and moved to Orlando, so it wasn't easy for him to come home. But he did make it to our place for our brother Kevin's funeral. When I lived in low-income housing, Mom had called one day and said, Lisa, I have some news. Are you sitting down? I felt panic rise up and said, yes, why? I wasn't sitting down. I don't handle bad news that way. She said, Kevin is gay. I said, I kind of figured that, where he never had a girlfriend and always hung out with just his buddies, Mike and Jack, and we all knew they were feminine. She said, you knew? I said, no, I just figured it. She said, well, he has AIDS. Then I was struck with sadness. In the 80s, AIDS, were it was a certain death sentence. 
Over the years, Kevin and his partner had gone to Japan and Australia quite a bit. Besides for work, now he was traveling extensively trying out herbal treatments and cures. I guess he had had it for quite some time and was doing well on the experimental treatments. Now it was 1994 and the treatments he was trying failed to work. Kevin had been living in San Francisco for the last five years or so and none of us had seen him. He felt ostracized by the family because certain siblings were less than kind, but now he had succumbed to AIDS and he was gone. His partner allowed his body to be flown back home to Minnesota to be buried in the family Catholic cemetery, but he refused to come, so we never met him. After the funeral, we had everyone out to our house for a reception. Our family had become quite large by now. My grandpa was gone, but grandma and mom and dad, my aunt, all eight of us siblings, with most of us having significant others and kids, it was a big crowd. We all sat in the yard, stunned at the circumstances that brought all of us back together in one place. Other than the not-to-be-mistaken laugh of Auntie Rosalie, it was a pretty somber mood. I'm not sure who suggested it, but it was decided we should have a big family softball game. Dylan was about eight years old, and we had just gotten a video camera. We put him and his, him and his older cousin on the garage roof. It wasn't a high garage to record and we had a game. It's a memory I'll cherish forever watching quiet 70 year old dad run from base to base. He was quite good. Of course after the game Blaine and Andy's boyfriend Jerry and Matt and Gary had to go get more beer so they went into the small town we live by and picked up some beer at the bar and stopped at the gas station for cigarettes. A truck with three guys were parked next to them and some words were exchanged and a fight ensued. When they pulled back up in our yard, Matt was bleeding across his head where he had gotten chain whipped, and the guys were pretty excited. What a way to end a wake. Life changed dramatically after 1994 once again. It was like God had these turning points all set out on a timeline, and I was just waiting to see what was coming up, hoping and helpless. In 1994, Kevin died. My grandma on my dad's side died. My grandma who we lived close by growing up, my mom's mom, she died. Blaine decided it was, was not working out living in Verdell at the bars, so Gary invited him to move in with us. I had spent a lot of time in Verdell with them and knew most of the people, hard not to in a town of 62 people. I'd still go visit Andy and Jerry and the kids, but more time home now that Gary wasn't working nights anymore. I still had the bug to live out an adventure that God may have planned for me, and I didn't give him any rest from it. I prayed to have the life he had for me, no matter how hard it may be. I heard a Christian woman say the other day, Give God your yes. Well, I had been doing that since Chelsea was a baby. Yes, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it. I want to live my life for you, God, no matter what it entails. Oh, how young and naive I was. Don't you know that's a dangerous prayer, Andy would say. She was living in abject poverty. Jerry didn't have a high-paying job in a little town, and by now they had added another kid in the house. Their house was a two-and-a-half-bedroom house with four kids. They made it work. I thought her life was romantically adventurous. Her life was hard, but she told me story after story of God coming through for them in miraculous ways as she evangelized that little town. I wanted it. Gary, not so much. He had become born again when Kevin died after I explained to him that going to hell was a real thing and because I didn't know if Kevin had accepted Jesus as his Savior, that I didn't know if Kevin went to heaven or hell. And I told him that Jesus said you must be born again. 
I didn't say that. Jesus said that. How can you argue with that? Warning, you won't like the rest of this story if you don't believe that. After spending one particular weekend at Andy's in Verdell, where we spent the entire weekend Bible studying together at her kitchen table because Jerry was out of town working, I came back feeling like I was floating on a cloud. I woke up that Monday and went to work in a literal haze. I could see the haze surrounding me. For three days, I felt a buoyant haze going everywhere with me. I was still working at the bank after 13 years and was now a teller and vault supervisor. One day, not long after this, as I was rolling coin for the vault, I was lost in my thoughts, quarter roll after quarter roll. I had been praying and seeking God's will for our lives continually and was now lost in my mundane thoughts. I heard in my spirit, get ready. I thought, ready for what? Not long after that, I was at mom's and I was looking at a national park book she had acquired from somewhere. I flipped through and my eye caught a park in Arizona. I remembered as a kid we had taken a trip to Moab and Glen Canyon in Utah and then swung down to the Grand Canyon. As an 11-year-old kid, I had my notebook always in tow, journaling or writing stuff down, and we gazed out over the precipice, looking surreal as it does. On that trip, I think it was mom, dad, and us youngest five kids. I saw a bunch of trees off to the left of us, and while they oohed and awed at the canyon, I sauntered off behind those trees a little ways so I could write what I was feeling. After that, I wrote in the perforated hole side space how to come to that particular spot. So if I ever came back to Arizona, I'd know how to get to that exact spot. Then I gently tore it out and put it in my memory box. I saved it for years. Then it got lost. I started to think about Arizona. At work, customers out of the blue would talk about Arizona. I hired a gal for a part-time drive-up teller position, and she was from Arizona. I went to the thrift store for a hoodie and found one from a college in Arizona. And more customers talked about Arizona. And random people in stores were talking about Arizona. It got to the point that I was literally hearing about Arizona every single day. This went on for a year. If it wasn't every day, it would go for like a week and I wouldn't hear anything. I'd be like, Lord, I haven't heard anything. And then all of a sudden it'd be like, boom, 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 boom. I'd just hear a bunch of people talking about Arizona. Finally, I said to Gary, I think we're supposed to move to Arizona. This was 1995. He said, I'm not moving anywhere unless I see it first. That makes sense. During that time, the Lord kept showing me the verse in Isaiah 58:11, uh, NIV. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Around this time, things at my job changed significantly as well. There was a big bank merger and I was going to have to transfer to another position in a different city or take a demotion. They were offering me a nice severance package, so I took it. The boys were struggling in school and so I decided it was time for me to homeschool them. Gary tossed around the idea of moving, but that meant he also would have to give up his job he'd had for many years. He was 35 and I was 32. Was it a good time to make such a big life change? His parents were talking retirement and selling the bar so they could travel. Mom and dad were retired and doing well, doing a bit of traveling. It seemed like a good time to make a change. And I'm going to stop there. 
Let's put a marker. And let's say page 16. So that's where we'll stop. Um, hope I wasn't reading too fast. That wouldn't be very nice. Um, yeah. This is harder for me than I thought it was going to be. So... I'm sorry if the days are going to get sporadic at doing this, but to be honest, there's some days where I'm just like, oh boy, Lord, I just don't know if I can, if I can go on. You know, right now things are all hunky-dory with us living, you know, in our little farmhouse with our kids and just small changes taking place here and there with each of our extended families and things. Um, but... It's, you know, looking back, I look back at, at it as one big whole bunch of things that the Lord asked me to do. Once we started gearing up for this move to Arizona, which obviously we do move to Arizona because that's where I am right now. Um, once that happens... And I don't write everything down, and it's hard for for you, if you're listening, to hear someone else's life, you know, so I'm pretty much just doing this for therapy. <laughs> and I really hope you find it interesting. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I'm pretty much just doing this for therapy. Um, I doubt the book will ever end up into, in, like, an e-book or certainly never in print um and it's it's a rough <clears throat> rough draft it's a rough draft so i have to interject things and i have to clarify things as i go and but it's a story it's a story of a life um dedicated to god's will and what happens you know Twists and turns and pain and miracles and things like that. So, um, I hope you stick around for the rest of the story. And if you choose not to, thank you for your time. But I pray you have a blessed day.